You can be seated in the presence of the Lord and in the company of God's saints. Uh, we do honor the Lord Jesus Christ for everything that he has done and bringing us to Faith Christian Center one more time. We also honor the Lord for his tremendous grace as he met us in a very powerful way uh, with our men yesterday. And we just know that if we can change a man, we can change a household. If we can change enough households, we can change a neighborhood. Change enough neighborhoods, we can change a city. Change enough city, we can change the nation. Change enough nations, we can change this world. Hallelujah. So we honor the Lord for everything that he has done and uh, thank the Lord for his tremendous grace by his spirit in Jesus name. It's good to be at Faith Christian Center one more time and I do bring greetings to you from our local church, Rama Christian Center. If they're doing what they're supposed to be doing in the absence of their pastor, they should be in the midst of their uh, second service this weekend on their way to the third one. Amen. In Jesus' name, we have a service on Saturday night at 6 and then one at 8 o'clock on Sunday morning at 11 o'clock. It's a busy bunch of folk over there. Amen. In Jesus' name. And so we honor the Lord. Well, it's Palm Sunday. Somebody yell victory. Victory. <laughs> Hallelujah. And this is the day that we celebrate that Jesus had his triumphant entry into the city of Jerusalem where people were saying, glory to God in the highest. Amen. And hail him who comes in the name of the Lord. Amen. But people are kind of fickle on you. I can say King Jesus on Sunday and crucify him on Friday. And thank the Lord for the journey that Jesus stayed on and stayed tied according to his purpose today. Let's pray. We're going to begin our journey today. Thank you, Pastor John and Pastor Ray for leading us in worship this morning. And we worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. Father, we welcome the Holy Spirit one more time to think through our minds, speak through our lips, and minister through this vessel of clay to your people. I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart will be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. We thank you for everything that you're about to do and speak and say over this week. Father, give us not only strength, but insight and foresight. Father, from your word, help us to speak. Not only the set things, the way that you desire for them to be in the earth as apostles, but Father, also speak with a prophetic voice. Father, that we might be positioned and adjusted for that which you are doing. We give you thanksgiving for it now in Jesus name. And everyone say it. Amen. Amen. Would you open your Bible to the book of Deuteronomy? We'd like to labor in this particular book uh, in a few sections of it this week. And our overall theme is going to be building community this week. And we're not only going to talk about building the community of the church, but also how can we as a church impact the larger community around us and make a national impact through the kingdom of God. Deuteronomy chapter six. As we approach the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy is a retelling of the law, retelling of the law. The deuteronistic style of God is that God will sometimes say something and then come back and say it again. And when he says it again, he is bringing emphasis to what he said originally, the deuteronistic style of the New and Old Testament. I love the book because we really don't hear a lot of new information in the book of Deuteronomy. In fact, Moses has now come out of 40 years in the wilderness 
And part of what he is doing is he's come from Kedesh Barnea back to Kedesh Barnea. And after they refused to go in the land, God purged Israel of unbelief. Now they come back to Kedesh Barnea and now they are ready to go into the land. God then tells Moses, hey, before you go into the land, set the people down and tell them again my law. God has a way of understanding that we don't hear everything the first time the way we ought to hear it. So even in the Genesis account, the original account of mankind, God says, and God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness and the likeness of God created he him, male and female created he them. That's what he says in Genesis one. And then you come back in Genesis two, seven, and it gives you more detailed approach. He says, so God formed the man out of the dust of the earth and God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man becomes a living soul and then he shows us all of the details of man exercising dominion authority over the earth and naming animals and then the separation of the section from the man and uh, making a woman and how he sees them coming back together and being one new unit. God has a way of saying things in headlines and then retelling the story and Deuteronomy is a book where he retells the law. When we get to Deuteronomy chapter 6 God begins to speak and he says, now this is the command and these are the statutes and the judgments which the Lord, your God, commands you to to teach you that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess. Notice his statement that you may fear the Lord And keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you and your sons and your grandsons and all the days of your life that your days may be prolonged. Therefore, hear, O Israel, be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, that it may be well with you. With you, that it may be well with you, that it may be well with you, that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words which I command you shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in the house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets before your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and of your gates. So it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land, which he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities, which you did not build houses, Full of goods which you did not feel. Hewed out wells which you did not dig. 
vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. When you have eaten and are full, then beware lest you forget the Lord which brought you out of the land of Egypt and from the house of bondage. Beware, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of bondage, the word of the Lord. As we read this particular text, we see now the Lord through Moses, a prophet, begins to speak to Israel. And as he begins to speak to him, he said, I'm going to give you some laws, some commandments, some statutes, some principles. He says that if you will follow these and keep these statutes and principles, he says, and not only you, but give them to your sons and to your daughters transgenerously, transgenerationally, give them to your sons and your daughters, your grandsons and your granddaughters, give them multi-generationally to everybody. He says that I'm going to bring you into a land flowing with milk and honey. Milk is life. Honey is sweet. Look at your neighbor and tell him you're getting ready to come into the sweet life. Yeah, the sweet life is also called the abundant life. And the abundant life is a life that is uh, full of righteousness, peace and joy. A life that is. Well balanced in six major areas, your spirit, your soul, your body, your family life, your social life, your economic life. And it's also a life where all your needs are met. The abundant life is a life where all your needs are met, a life that is full of righteousness, peace and joy and a life that is well balanced in six major areas in your spirit, soul, body, your family life, your financial life, your economic life. God's getting ready to bring us into a land of milk and honey, the sweet life, a land flowing that way, but that is not without conditions. God's love is unconditional, but all of his promises are conditional. And God's one of those gods that says, if you do this, then I'll do that. His love is unconditional. It just goes out to all. He's always seeking our highest good all the time. But his promises are conditional. Sometimes we get that all mixed up and we think that his love is conditional and his promises are unconditional. But his love is unconditional. But his promises are conditional. Here he says now, therefore hear, O Israel. And he says that again in the Shema, the word here means Shema is, is the word in verse 04. Also, hear, O Israel, in verse number 3, he says, therefore, hear, O Israel. And in verse number 4, he says, hear, O Israel. And isn't it interesting that we understand that God speaks to the individual. Then there's a lot of books and a lot of series written on how do you hear from God. But this time, God is speaking to the community, not to the individual. Because God is also not only an individual God, Jesus is not only my personal Lord and Savior, he's also a communal God. And this time he's speaking to the community, not so much to the individual. What is a community? A community are people who have common interests uh, and living in a particular area together. A community is also an interacting population of various kinds of individual. A community is a group of people who have common characteristics, interests in living together in a larger society. 
A community is usually people that are yoked together with common policy. And our policy that binds us together is called the word of God. We call it the Bible. There are two basic understandings of community. First of all, God speaks to the community. And then God in the book of Deuteronomy models what community should look like. Understand when we look at here, O Israel, twice in this text, that God forms Israel rare among all the nations. Most other nations after after the diaspora, the spreading forth of people from the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 10 and 11, most people form nations based on geographical location, common interests, but mostly common language. Israel is rare because here's what God says. This group of people is not just going to be formed around common interests, common geography and common language. He says, I'm going to form this nation and I'm going to give them my law and then I'm going to form my nation around the law. Israel is unique because God said, I needed a nation in the earth. To show the people of the earth in the midst of a corrupt world what it means to live under the government of God. So what I'm going to do is give you my command and let that be the center. And then I'm going to build the nation around you. He says, if you will hear and will keep my command. Verse number three, I repeated it several times in the reading of this scripture. He says, the reason I'm doing this is I want it to go well with you all. I want it to go well with you all, whether you're brown, black, red, yellow, or or white. God says, I want it to go well with you all, whether you are wealthy, whether you are rich, whether you are upper middle class, middle class, lower middle class, whether you are poor or whether you're in poverty. God's desire is I still want it to go well with you all. Whether you are in a highly developed nation, whether you are in a developed nation, whether you are in an underdeveloped nation, or if you are in a third world nation, God says, I want it to go well with you all. He says, listen, here, if you will hear my commands, if you will obey my statutes and principles, he says, and if you will observe to do them. He says, I'm bringing you into this abundant life because I want it to go well with you all. I want it to go well with the elderly. I want it to go well with the present generation. I want it to go well with emerging adults. I want it to go well with children. And because I want it to go well with multiple generations, here's what I'm going to do, says the Lord. I want you who receive my principles, my commands and my law, pass them on to your sons and daughters, pass them on to your grandchildren so that it might go well with you all. Then he identifies himself by saying the reason I'm doing this is because I'm a multi-generational God. I am the God of Abraham And of Isaac and of Jacob. And he said, and I made a promise to that generation. And now I'm giving you the statutes and the principles to pass it on. 
One of my principles that we'll talk about this weekend is in the Shema. He says it's called passionate parenting. He said, because you as parents, the way it's going to be passed on to your sons and to your grandchildren, as he says, you're going to love me with all your heart, your soul and your strength. But you're also going to teach diligently these things to your children and grandchildren. And you're going to talk about them when you walk by the way. You're going to talk about them when you sit down. You're going to talk about them when you rise up. You're going to talk about them when you sit in your houses so that the next generation will know that I am the Lord. He said, I'm bringing you into a land where by my grace, you're going to get cities you didn't even build, houses you didn't even feel, wells you're going to drink from that you didn't even dig, vineyards and olive trees that you did not even plant. He says, now, when I bring you into all this abundance and one of the problems of increase and abundance is we begin to think we got all this stuff by ourselves. We pray for years for the Mercedes. Then when the Lord blesses us with it, we got to wash it on Sunday morning. Look at your neighbor and say, wash it another day. <laughs> Hallelujah. The Lord blesses us with the membership to the golf club. And once we get it, all of a sudden we got to have tea time at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. I know this to be true because we have a Saturday night church. And when the spring finally springs, a lot of my golfers are there every Saturday night. I said, what do you do on Sunday morning now, man? I'm out at the golf course. I said, I'm glad you came to worship first. Praise the Lord. And friends, sometime when we come into the abundance and increase, we start thinking my hand and my strength and my intellect and my scholarship and my ability got me all of this wealth. And friends, he says, don't you forget the Lord when you're eating and when you are full. In our Christian tradition, in our family, when we had when we would sit down to eat, my mother taught us from a child to bless the food. When we got older, we taught our children, bless your food, because some people don't have food. But we need to praise God from whom all blessings flow. And I said, give passionate prayer. So we taught them what we called grace. And then after a while, they start praying over the food for themselves. And that becomes important. One of my Messianic Jewish friends, uh, Rabbi Kurt Snyder's ministered at our church several times. I remember I had him in the minister on Sunday morning. We had a light breakfast between services. And we just sat down and started eating and fellowshipping. And when it, about the middle of the meal, somebody said, did we bless this food? And he looked at me and he said, well... Deuteronomy says, when you are eating and you are full, then you ought to bless the Lord. <laughs> he says, so we'll bless the Lord after we eat it and we're full. <laughs> and I said, thank you very much. That comes out of Deuteronomy for those of you who are looking for a Bible reference on that. 
And I believe that we ought to bless the Lord before we eat it. We ought to bless the Lord after we eat it. Because your power and your wealth didn't get you all of this. You see, you may have been given great intellectual uh, capacity, but it was the Lord that helped you to get through that Ph.D. program. You see, some of you in here graduated magnum cum laude, some of you graduated sum cum laude, some of you graduated cum laude, and some of you graduated thank the laude. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> and we have to recognize that I did not have the capacity... To get all of this wealth. Now I think the first principle. Just two principles this morning. But the second principle has three principles with it. Is that God. God speaks to the community. Friends I believe in Seekonk. And in Providence. And in the surrounding communities. As well as in all of New England. And across our nation. God wants to get America's attention. America seems to be sliding the wrong way, and I do not equate America with the kingdom of God because America is a democracy, and the kingdom of God is a kingdom, and the kingdom is where a king is in charge. And friends, I want you to understand that when there's a model nation inside of a nation, we are to demonstrate what it looks like to live under the government of God. And God speaks to the nation But then when God speaks to the nation, God then speaks to Israel and he says, he speaks to the nation first ideal. And he says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. God speaks to the community, not so much to the individual in this case. And the kingdom of God is the community of God in the earth today. The kingdom of God is the king's domain. It's where God is in rule and the church is a legitimate representation of the kingdom of God in the earth. A local church is is one expression of the kingdom of God. But the kingdom of God is broader than the local church. The kingdom of God is global. It involves every nation, every kindred, every tongue and every people. It is the rule of God, including his throne, his voice, his territory and his influence on planet earth. The kingdom of God is within us and is being manifested through us. The kingdom of God is a representation of the Oreno's heaven in earth. It is the rule of God, the throne of God, the voice of God, the territory of God, the citizens of God in the earth. The kingdom of God is very broad. And our prayers is that thy kingdom come and thy will be done. God speaks to the community. But the second ideal that has three points, I think is also critical. God shows them how to set up the community. And basically, God has three systems that he sets up for community. First of all, he sets up, and you can write these down, a sacred system in the community. And that's a, and that's a system that we'll look at that will help us to pass on our values to uh, the rest of the next generation. He sets up a governmental system in the community, and that's to maintain order and to see that it goes well with all. God then sets up an economic system in the community, and the economic system is to see that there's fairness and distribution of God's wealth and abundance throughout the community. God sets up a sacred system, a, ge- a government system, and an economic system in the community. And because God knows we live in a corrupt world, then God sends not a system, but a person called a prophet that hold these systems accountable because he understands we live in a corrupt world he understands that these systems might fall apart 
Let's take a look at the first one. God ensures that there will be a sacred system that is set up. And the sacred system that's also called the religious system passes on the religious values from one generation to another. Look at me in Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse number and verse number 12, Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse number 12. He says, now Israel, now Israel, Deuteronomy 10, 12. He says, now Israel, what does the Lord require of you? It says, but to fear the Lord your God and to walk in his ways and to love him and to serve the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul and to keep his commandments with your Lord of the Lord and his statutes, which I command you today for your good. God wants it to go well with all. So I set up this sacred system and the sacred or the religious system is set up for shaping our values and passing those values on to the next generation. You see, People need to understand that these values that God gives us called his statutes, his judgments, his commands, they're given to us for our common good so that it will go well with all. And this, by keeping his statutes, draws us closer to God. He says, man, when you keep my statutes, you draw closer to me. John said, if you love me, keep my commandments is what Jesus said. And obedience is a proof of our love. See, the religious system is a value shaping system that ensures that ensures that it will go well with all. Why are values so important? Well, if I if I can pull down my screen this morning. okay, I'm pulling down my screen. Everybody see my screen. okay? you see that if I if I can on my screen draw a big mountain. okay? if I if I see the mountain, can you see that over there? Okay, you got it? Okay, so on the mountain at the very, maybe upper fourth of the mountain, I'm going to put a little water line, okay? So only a fourth of the mountain is sticking out of the water. Can everybody see the water line? Now, there's this big mountain and it's sticking out of the water. Underneath the mountain is this big resource and foundation. This would be like an iceberg. Only the tip of it sticks out of the water, but there's a lot below the surface. Now, above the surface, you see people's behavior, right? Behavior above your surface for those of you who are taking notes. And the rest of you can just watch my diagram, okay? So I'm just writing down behavior, okay? You see that up there? Okay, some of y'all. Can y'all see in the back? Okay, behavior up above the water line. Now, now, many times we send people to jail and incarcerate people because their behavior is not right. We keep them in jail for 36 months, 72 months, and we let them out. And you know what? They go back and they do the same behavior and they go back in jail. You know why? Because behavior has a big foundation below it. You see, to get to your behavior on the very bottom of this mountain is what's called your worldview. On the bottom of your behavior is what's called your worldview, way below the surface. And your worldview is how you explain everything. Where did everything come from? Do you know that there may be some people in this sanctuary that think that they came from a monkey? 
when they go to the Seekonk Zoo and they go to the chimpanzee cage, they believe that they're going to visit their great, great grandmother. Yes, 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 yes. And your worldview is how you explain everything, where everything came from, how we get out here and what its purpose is. Out of your worldview comes your values and your values help to shape what you esteem as important. So the second level after worldview is the word value. Y'all see that you got behavior at the top. You got worldview down here. You have values right here. And the values help to shape what you esteem as important so that it can go well and you can have purpose. Now, out of your values shapes your belief system, what you believe as a man thinketh in his heart. So is he. So it shapes what you believe. And as you believe, that's going to shape your behavior. It's foolish to put folk in jail and punish them for their behavior and not do anything to change their worldview, their values and their belief because they're going to have what we experience called recidivism. They're going to repeat the same thing. A judge can also tell somebody you're going to rehab. Rehab can reshape your behavior by detox. But if I don't invade your worldview, your values, and your belief, you're going back to the same behavior. You can do Atkins diet or any of these other fads that come along. Now in the kingdom, we don't do Atkins. We do the Daniel fast. I called a fast at our church and people were passing around Pastor John without my permission. A piece of paper called the Daniel fast. It had so much food on it. And I said, when are you going to fast? <laughs> but I know you don't have those kind of saints in Seekonk. They're only in Columbus, Ohio. <laughs> and you can purge and change your behavior up here. But if you really don't go down and change your worldview. Your values. See, my worldview is I believe in the beginning God created the heavens and earth and purpose comes from him. One of the reasons I started getting my body in shape a few years ago was I went back and as I began to read the first six pages of my Bible, Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Look at your neighbor and say, you ought to read at least the first six pages of your Bible. (laughs) Go ahead and tell them, tell them. The first two, uh, the first four pages of your Bible, Genesis 1 and 2, they tell you how it was in the earth before sin was. Because you have God, the man and the woman, and Satan in the earth before sin. First two chapters. God, the man and the woman, Satan in the earth before sin. First four pages of your Bible. Lean on your neighbor for me now. Just lean on him and tell him at least read the first four pages of your Bible. And push the person in front of you, tell them you read it too. Go ahead. (laughs) Now turn around and tell them, don't you ever put your hand on me again. Go ahead, tell them. (laughs) We ought to see what God's intent was. And the first four pages of the Bible, 
First two chapters sees man, the sees God, the man and the woman in the earth with Satan before sin. Chapter three, the next two pages tells you what happened that we're in this mess. One man listened to the wrong voice. And now we're in all this mess we're in. One man listening to the wrong voice got us in the problem we're in. I was in a forum for African-American women a few years ago. It was terrible. Because they were talking about all the problems with African-American women. And then the last day they invited Pastor Johnson men in, an ex-military uh, colonel. And, and they invited in a, a, a Ph.D. and they invited in a preacher. And they wanted to ask some men some questions about African-American males. And as they begin to just tell us all of their problems that were caused by us. The moderator says, we have some questions for you men. And then she started off with this statement, men are the problem. She said, think about it. Mental health. Mental anxiety. Mental illness. She said, the worst time of my month is called menopause. No, it's called menstrual cycle. And then she said, and at the end of my life, I got to deal with men of pause. I said, oh, God. She said, men are the problem. Just point at the man next to you. Point at him. Just point at him. I just said, before I make any statements in here, would you tell me what men want or what women want? And they said, get out of the room for a minute. And they came back with 10 things they wanted from black men. I already told that to the men several years ago. So y'all don't need to hear all that. Okay. Yeah. Go back in the archives. (laughs) At one of the men's meetings. And friends, one of the things that I've discovered is that the wrong, that the, a man listening to the wrong voice, Genesis 3, got us in all the mess we're in right now. One man listening to the wrong voice got us in all the mess we're in right now. Hear, O Israel. God comes back in Deuteronomy and says again, you need to hear me, says the Lord. I'm not talking about Lafayette skills. I'm talking about the voice of the Lord. And the religious value system is there. And what it's supposed to do is change our worldview. We believe the miracle in the beginning, God. And then it changes our value system, which changes our belief, which changes our behavior. And we're to pass these on to the second and to the third generation. Tell it to our children. Tell it to our grandchildren. Tell it to all of those that are to come be a model for the nation. God then knows that as we live in community, there needs to be community-wide governmental systems. So then God sets in place in Deuteronomy, not only a religious system, Deuteronomy 10, 12 through 13, the pass on those values, but he also sits in a governmental system. If you look in Deuteronomy chapter 16 now, Deuteronomy 16 and verse number 18, if you will, he says, now when you come into the land, he says, I'm going to give you a structure that will help you with your government. He says, so that it could go well with you. And in Deuteronomy 16, 18, if you're there, shout amen. Amen. 
It says, you shall appoint judges and officers in all of your gates. Uh, the Lord thy God gives to you according to your tribes, and they shall judge the people with just judgment. You shall not pervert justice. You shall not show partiality. Nor take bribes. For bribes blind the eyes of the wise and will twist the words of righteousness. You shall follow what is altogether just. That you may live and inherit the land which the Lord thy God has given you. He wants it to go well with all. He wants it to go well with all. God then sets not only a sacred system to pass on values, but he also sets a system in place called a political system that I call a governmental system. And this is the deciding decision making body. And he calls them judges and officials. And their whole responsibility is to take on making sure that there is just non perverted free from bribes without partiality justice in the land you know in our culture today in america we don't talk much about bribes because he says bribes he says in verse number 19 part b blinds the eyes of the wise and will twist words of righteousness we don't call them bribes today they're called lobbyists Yeah, I said it. I ain't scared of them out there. I am a representative of God. And when a man could come into, especially Washington middle class and leave wealthy. We have to ask the question, what happened in Washington? And he says that these that we set in, he says, as judges and as officers. They have to be just. He said they have to seek justice, cause it to go well with all. He says show no partiality because somebody is rich or somebody is poor because somebody is white, black, red, yellow, brown. He says don't show partiality because they live in the suburbs or because they live in the inner city. It's to be without bribes. We should not twist the words of righteousness and we should follow it all together so that everything could be all together. Well, this is God's ideal of community. And he said, Israel, you model this so that other people can have a model of what government looks like under me. So he gives them a religious system to pass on the values. He then gives them an economics, uh, I'm sorry, a governmental system to make sure that it's without partiality, a fair distribution of justice. And then thirdly, he gives them an economic system. Because he knows that there needs to be a way to fund and to see and ensure fair and just equal distribution of God's lands, God's goods and God's services. Because God says, I'm giving you all of this stuff. And so he says, so the economic system should declare that. Now, what does this look like? Well, first of all, we go back to Deuteronomy 610 now. And in 610 of Deuteronomy, he gives us the big announcement. He says, listen, I'm bringing you into this land. 
He said, and when I give you, bring you into the land that's flowing with milk and honey, he says, it's the land that I promised Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob in Deuteronomy 6.10. He says, I'm bringing you into cities that you didn't build. They're abundantly filled. Houses that you have full of goods that you did not fill. Hewed out wells that you did not dig. Vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant. It says, when you were eating in full, beware lest you forget the Lord that brought you out of the land of Egypt, now in a house of bondage. You see, there is a land of Egypt and there is a house of bondage. And we'll talk about the difference between God's narratives and Pharaoh's narrative this week. Because regularly in the Old Testament, God says, don't forget what Pharaoh did to you. And he had a narrative. And what I'm doing for you, because I have a narrative and you need to hear my narrative because we got in all the mess we're in right now because the one man listened to the wrong voice. Hero is. And we need to hear again. This economic system that God sits up is further explained. Deuteronistic style in Deuteronomy chapter 15. Turn over there. Deuteronomy has all kinds of juicy stuff in it. Y'all to read your Bible. It's better than empire. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> okay, I got all the empire fans. Okay. <laughs> Out here. All right. Good. Now, Deuteronomy 15. God had an economic system and Deuteronomy 15, you'll want to read it in its entirety. We don't have time to do all of that, but I'll refer back to it during the course of the week. His economic system set, stood over against debt and it was for forgiveness of debt and it stood for the abundance in the community. See, in Deuteronomy chapter 15, when you look at verse number one, he says, listen, every seven years you shall grant a release from debt. Wonder if that happened today. Could it be that God understood because of greed, because of covetousness and other human devices that came out of corruption? Genesis chapter three answers are in Genesis. You don't have to read too far. Somebody say, read the first six pages of your Bible. Why are you whispering at Faith Christian Center? I said, say, read the first six pages of your Bible. You don't have to read very far to understand the mess we're in. And God understood because of greed and corruption and also covetousness, we would get in economic debt. So, you know, when God built this model nation, he says, we know people are going to get in debt. So every seven years, release them from their debt. He said, release it. He says, and this is the form of the release. Every creditor who has lent anything to his neighbor, oh God, anything. To his neighbor, 15-2, it says, shall uh, release and he shall not require of his neighbor or of his brother because it is called the Lord's release. Now it says, now of the foreigners, these are the internationals or the strangers, you may require it, but you shall give up your claim of what is your own by your brother. He says, except when there may be no poor among you, except when there may be no poor among you for the Lord will greatly bless you in the land. If you'll just follow this principle in giving you to possess to inherit it. 
See, God goes on to say something about the poor in verse number seven, if you will. He says, and if there is among you a poor man, a brother within your gates and in your land, uh, which the Lord your God has given you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand up from your poor brother. God wanted to see it go well with all. So he says, so after you get all your stuff, he says, remember, I am the Lord, your God. And remember, if there is a poor brother around, you don't blame him for being poor. It's the way God thinks. He says, but what you should do or shut up your hand. Verse 11, just still concerning the poor. God wanted it to go well with all for the poor will never cease our land. He says, man, because of the world we live in, there's always going to be some poor in the land. Therefore, I command you saying you shall open your hand wide to your brother, to your poor and to your needy in the land. And if your brother, a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman is sold to you. And serves you for six years. Then in the seventh year, you shall let them go free. So every seven years, there was progressively releasing of slaves. But notice what he did when he released people from slavery. And when you send him away free, you shall not let him go away empty handed. But you shall supply him liberty with some flocks from your threshing floor and with some wine for what the Lord has blessed you with, you shall give him. I sometimes think about that because slavery is a part of many people's past. Most immigrants that came into this country that were not able to pay their initial passage were indentured servants. Of course, those of African descent, many came over and they were already free men because they paid their passage. But some were enslaved and even when slaves were set free in the 1800s, isn't it interesting? It says that the United States said, you know, you can't set all these slaves free without there being some kind of economic base that you give them. So they came up with this 40 acres and a mule. Well, we never got the 40 acres or the mule. And then people were re-enslaved because they were not property owners. In America and friends right now, I'm saying I don't need the mule, but I'll take the 40 acres anytime <laughs> because there's something that God thinks you can't keep people enslaved. Do you know when Japanese Americans were interned during World War II because the government thought that they were going to be people that would rise up against America. When they came out of there, they demanded reparations, repair of what you did to us because we lost businesses, educational opportunities and all that. When German Americans were interned during the World War II because they said that these German Americans might rise up against America, they were interned. When they came out, they demanded reparations. You need to repair this. The Native Americans in our country came together and brought a suit on human rights and they now have what's called the Department of Interior Affairs and inside of his Department of Indian Affairs and they get reparations checks from the government to repair the damage that was done. Jews got reparations from Germany. Latest in the news, Greeks were promised reparations from Germany for the damage that they did to Greece right there. Everybody has sent a bill to America except for folks that look like me and I'm working with a group that's going to send a bill. 
Okay, some people laugh. Some people say, what in the world is he talking about? Now, what, why, why? Why? Because, listen, you can't keep people enslaved and then set them free without any kind of economic base. And what he says, he says, listen, when you send them out, God, this way he thinks, he said, give them some flocks, give them some livestock so they can be self-perpetual. Give them some something from your threshing floor. Give them some seed. And then he said, give them some wine. Now, understand the flocks. I understand the threshing floor and I understand the wine. (laughs) Yes, understand that, too. And so so he said, give them something to drink. Give them something, the plant, give them something for their perpetual. God wanted to make sure that it will go well with them. Why? This is a key. All nonsense aside, this is the key. Verse 15, Deuteronomy 10, or I'm sorry, Deuteronomy 15, 15. You shall remember that you were slave. Every now and then, I think when I deal with underprivileged people, People that have no economic opportunity, low economic opportunity. And I go a lot of places in the world where this is true. I have to remember that we were slaves. And how did you want to be treated when you were oppressed? I work with some of the rabbis in our city to uh, lift up the needs of the poor and do justice in our city. And these are not messianic rabbis. These are traditional rabbis. And I found out that one word, justice, is where we can work together. I cannot influence what I cannot touch. And the gospels go to the Jew first and to the Greek, and I cannot influence people I do not know. So I work with two major, three major synagogue leaders, and we do justice together. We're learning from each other. When they come into our worship center with their yarmulkes on, when we have our meetings at our church, they see all those instruments and everything up there. And they say, what are y'all doing here? And I say, we worship God, Yahweh. And they say, we're going to come here and see what y'all do one day. I said, come on. <laughs> why? Because God wants it to go well with all. But I asked them, why do you do this? And they said, because our God commands that we do this. Now, God, he sits in these systems for people's well-being. Religious system pass on values. Listen, governmental system maintain order without partiality and fairness. Also, an economic system, so it would go well with all free distribution, uh, free flow of distribution of lands and goods and services. So it might be abundant with all the community. But now we live in a corrupt world, and I know we're not in a theocracy. What does God sit in? God says, I know it's going to get messed up every now and then, so I'm going to send in a voice. And my final point this morning is Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse number 15. And we'll pick it up tonight. Because we've got to understand God's ideal of community. If I don't understand God's ideal of community, then I will never know how to build the church community. And I surely will not be able to help America. I won't be able to help Seekonk. I won't be able to help Columbus. I won't be able to help Providence. I won't be able to help New England if I don't understand God's ideal. And God says, I know it's all going to get messed up right now. So I'm going to send another person to help keep everything in order. And he calls this person a prophet. The Lord, Deuteronomy 18, 15. Are you there? Say amen. Amen. The Lord, your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. This is Moses speaking in your midst. God always brings the deliverer from among the people. Gandhi came from India. Martin Luther King came from America. Moses came, was raised up out of Egypt. 
God says, from the midst of you and Jesus, the savior of the world was raised up by Jewish people with a, with a Gentile. No, no, with, with a national lineage, a national lineage. And friends, he's the savior of the world. According to all your desire of the Lord, your God in Horeb. What would the Lord do? He says in verse 18, he says, and I will raise up for you. I will raise up from them a prophet like unto me. See the people, when God wanted to call them to the assembly, they said, we don't want to hear God. And they said, you go Moses and tell us what he said. So God said, because according to your word, he said, I'm going to raise up prophets from among you, from among your brethren. And I'll put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all of my commandments. And it shall be that whosoever will not hear his words, which he spoke in my name, I will require it of him. Prophets were raised up to hold systems accountable. And do you know that every place we see a prophet in the Bible, we also see a king, a governmental system. You know that when we see prophets in the Bible, sometimes they spoke against the religious system when it went astray. Do you know when we see prophets in the Bible, sometimes they spoke against the, the, the economic system when it went astray. And part of my prayer and my assignment here this day is to give the church back its prophetic voice. We need a prophetic voice again from the church to the community so that when systems are out of place, whether it is the religious system, the governmental system, or the economic system, the prophets were to come and to speak the counsel of God to bring systems into order. Why? Because God wants it to go well with all. See, when the prophets spoke and the people lived the system, do you know what happens in the community? People start getting a model. But listen, when the people don't have a model, the people will all go astray. You see, if we will choose to remember that it was the Lord that brought us out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of bondage, God will do some good things. Let's close with the voice of a prophet this morning, Jeremiah 22. And would you find verse 13, Jeremiah 22, 13, because here there's a transition uh, in the kingdom and, and the prophet Jeremiah begins to prophesy and he talks about people who've come into abundance and come into wealth. And now they're starting to panel their houses and they're starting to build large chambers, but they're doing it with injustice and by abundant gain unjustly. And listen what Jeremiah says in 22, 15 and 16. He says, listen, shall you reign because you enclosed yourself in cedar? Did your fathers eat and drink and do justice and righteousness? Then it was well with him. Your judges caused the poor and the needy. The poor and the needy, then it was well. It says, was not this knowing me, says the Lord. The Lord says, listen, when you and I, when we used to reign and we used to do justice and righteousness, didn't it go well? He said, when we judge the cause of the poor and the needy, didn't it go well? And then he says this, wasn't this knowing God? You see, Pastor Ray, you can come. You cannot know God 
apart from obedience to his word, his statutes and his commandments. And God says, if we wanted to go, well, you need to know me. He said, but let me tell you, knowing me is not just in your thoughts and in your heart. It's knowing me in your actions. You see, some of you, I know you work in clothing shelters and food pantries. Some of you, I know you work in social services among the poor. But you know you can get poverty fatigue every now and then. Where there's so many needs and so many people playing games because of corruption. That after a while we can shut up our hearts and our bowels of compassion. Some of us used to value the religious system because we had a worldview that God created everything. And I have the right. He has a right of possession on my life that shaped our values because our worldview shaped our values. So we said, so we're going to esteem God. And what he says higher, we used to do that. And that shaped our belief system, which shaped our action. But now with constant 24 hour news that's saying I have to accept this and I have to buy into that. And if I speak against this as somehow I'm, I'm, I'm un educated. I am marginalized. I am intolerant. I'm speaking hate speech. Then we begin to just give a little ground and give a little ground. And now our values are being ignored and resisted and now even attacked. Because we just gave a little ground. And it's not going well with us. But you know what? God's word still works. It not only works for healing, it not only works for miracles, it not only works for finance. But listen to me, I came to stretch you this year because I say I want you to see that it works for the community. It's one thing to think about me and mine. It's another thing to think about us and we. God wants it to go well for every member of Faith Christian Center, but not only Faith Christian Center. He wants it to go well with all, with every city that we've been carried into. And if we could have a healthy, sacred system. If we could only find one tribe, let it be the tribe of faith. We call ourselves in our city the tribe of Ramah. We call ourselves, in fact, Ramanites. And when we come into a room, many times we're identified by our language and by our walk and by our care and by our love and by our concern. They say, oh, here come the Ramonites. That's a tribe of Ramah up here in the northeast part of Columbus. But now other people begin to adopt that because we're part of the kingdom of God. And we know God just doesn't want our church blessed. He wants it to go well with all. The first step of it going well with all is that we must acknowledge his lordship over our life. And as I close my time together this morning with you, I want you to know that God wants it to go well with you. But friends, it can never go well with your soul if you're separated from God. When you and I are separated and disconnected from him and we have not heard and responded to him, it cannot go well. He says, listen, when you were doing justice, didn't it go well? When you were doing righteousness, was not it well, says Jeremiah twenty-two fifteen. He says, man, when you were judging the poor and the needy, didn't it go well? Why did you shut up your bowels of compassion? Why did you get influenced by all of this stuff in the news? Why did you get inv- uh, involved in listening to the Pharaoh's narrative? He said, I brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of bondage. And the thing that separates us from God's narrative is the thing called sin. Genesis chapter three. When one man listened to the wrong voice, 
we got in all the mess we're in. There are some of you that are in the sanctuary this morning. You might have come with a friend. You might have come with a family member, a relative, a co-worker, a neighbor. And you came into this sanctuary today and you know you've been listening to the wrong repetitious voice from credible people all week long. And today you've come in and you've heard a new prophetic voice. For we've read from a prophet whose name from, was Moses and a prophet whose name was Jeremiah. And we told you God wants it to go well. But sin creates a barrier between you and I and God. You see, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. They're in need of salvation. And the wages of sin is death. And the gift of God is eternal life.